You didn't know? It's me, it's me, it's that D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. And if you ain't down with that, I got two words for you. Suck it. Hey, this is Badass Billy Gunn. My name is Armando Alejandro Estrada. <laughs> hey, it's Rotor Animal. <laughs> Yo, monkeys, it's me, T-T-P, the king of Bada Bing, the master of the diamond cutter, the three-time, three-time, three-time world champion. And you, well, you, monkey, stay tuned or you will feel bang. I am the genius of a glory and renown, Lanny Thomas. What's up, all you stars and stars? This is Mariette. This is Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, Mr. Hall of Fame, 2011 on SNS Radio Network. See ya! And I wouldn't want to be ya. The world is listening. All right, back in the locker room with Rowdy Roddy Piper. You talk about a 180-degree swing. I know you're still hurting. Rowdy Piper. I'm not hurting. How in the world, against the doctor's advice, can you go out in that ring and meet the Iron Sheik? I do exactly what I want to do. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. Adrian Adonis, do you think I'm insane? Do you think for one second now you're running around with your dress on and, and your beautiful pectorals that, that look like you had six litters of puppies? You're going to come run in the ring and you're going to come run around and mess me up and think for one second that I'm just going to sit there and take up and not come out there and think you to a pulp? You think for one second you in all your splendid glory with your pretty little hat on and all those lovely stretch marks, you know, that look like an upstate map of New York, that you're going to sit there and say, huh, took care of Roddy Piper. Listen, I'm a man. You think something, little something like a knee injury is going to hurt me or stop me, huh? You think that's what I'm made of? You can break my neck. I fight for a living. When you carry a big stick, you know, Gene, you don't got to walk so soft no more, you know. I, I, when you carry a big stick, I'll, I'll walk. I, I thank you very much, Roddy Piper. In my opinion, you jeopardized your career in meeting the Iron Sheik, but you did get your hand raised. Our congratulations That's on that. That's why I'm Roddy Piper.
Nation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome, fans, to the show that takes you back in time as we relive the greatest and worst in the world of sports entertainment and professional wrestling. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, is proud to present a special edition of BTB. All of them are special, but this is a very unique topic discussed here this evening. Tonight's edition focuses on those superstars that came oh so close. The greatest superstars that never became world heavyweight champion. The big gold belt that represents the WWE World Heavyweight Championship has a lineage as the WCW and NWA Championship dating back to 1985. That was also the first year of WrestleMania and really the modern day wrestling era as we know it. Though you can technically date that back to Hulk Hogan winning the World Wrestling Federation Championship in 1983. But for the purpose of tonight's list... We will look back at the greatest wrestlers who never won either the WWF slash E or NWA slash WCW slash World Heavyweight Championships dating back to the 60s and 70s and focused on that 1985 era. Also, there was a period of less than a year when the Big Gold Belt represented the WCW International Championship At the same time, the WCW title existed. But for the purposes of this list tonight, the International Championship won't be counted. And we'll tell you why shortly. When considering a great superstar or an all-time superstar that could be classified as an individual that came oh so close to becoming world champion, there's some criteria that you could put together. Whether they wrestled a part of a certain generation when championships or champions had longer reigns. You know, longer stretches of time as world champion. You can also look at the individual's contribution to the wrestling business and the impact they made on careers of other superstars, as well as the impact they made on the fans themselves. Tonight's list will consist of some of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Wrestlers that could have been competing head-to-head with Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H but at the same time did not have the ability or the timing wasn't right to become World Heavyweight Champion or WWE Champion, WCW Champion, NWA Champion. So tonight we look back and we cherish and remember those that were greats but but became oh so close at becoming World Heavyweight Champion. So buckle up fans for an exclusive and exciting edition of Beyond the Bell. Let's start off with Jerry, the King Lawler. You got a big match and a lot of other things going on. i tell you, this is one of the biggest cards that's been signed in a long, long time, and, you know, I guess it's appropriate. Following uh, the Mid-South Fair that's been in town uh, for 10 days here, and, of course, we've been having uh, USWA Championship Wrestling out at the fair. It's going to be there again tonight. We've got the... Uh, the finals tonight at the Mid-South Fair of the of the big tournament that's been going on, and also again tomorrow night. I'm going to be out there tonight. I think Jeff Jarrett, Robert Fuller, uh, a lot of people out there tonight, and, right. and tomorrow night also. So I want to invite everybody to come out there and see that. Uh, before I talk a little bit, before I talk about this match that I've got coming up uh, Monday night, which is of course a big one, I want to I want to mention a couple of other things that you said that we got going on here. Can it, can you not hear me over there? Is that, is it 
right. That's red upstairs. I know. <laughs> We're blaming red. Now, we got a little sound now? There you go. All right. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention a couple of things you said. I got some other things going. Uh, you know, last week I mentioned this big uh, uh, benefit softball game that's coming up in Nashville tomorrow, and uh, we've had a ton of calls here in, at the station yeah. in Memphis about it. I just wanted to mention let, uh, there is a benefit softball game. This is a big softball challenge that's going to be taking place tomorrow afternoon uh, at 4 o'clock at Greer Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, this is all to benefit the uh, City of Hope, which is an AIDS and cancer research center there in Nashville. And let me just tell you some of the people that I'm going to be playing softball with up there. I'll just mention the names, and, and you might want to make the trip to Nashville to see this game. It is going to be exciting. Here are some of the ball players that are going to be involved. Clint Black, Vince Gill, the Kentucky Headhunters, George Jones, Lisa Hartman's going to be there, T. Graham Brown, Paul Overstreet, Jim Varney, you know, hey, yeah. hey, hey, Vern. Hey, Vern. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be there. Uh, uh, Jerry Lawler, I don't know who that guy is. Uh, listen to this. Garth Brooks. Yeah. Travis Tritt, Mark Chestnut, Mark Colley, Tricia Yearwood, Patty Loveless, Shenandoah, Conway Twitty, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. There's going to be some uh, uh, Hall of Fame baseball players there playing, too. Catfish Hunter, Don Sutton, Rick Roden, Phil Necro, and Gaylord Perry. And uh, Reba McIntyre singing the national anthem. It's going to be the biggest thing going. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, uh, now a lot of people ask about tickets. You can call Nashville Ticketmaster. The tickets are ten dollars, and uh, it's going to be tomorrow at four o'clock at Greer Stadium in Nashville. If you want to come up and up there, and after the game is over, there's going to be a big concert. That's kind of a jam concert featuring everybody. So it should be good. Okay. Yes, and indeed. Then, Quite an afternoon. That's tomorrow. That's that's tomorrow afternoon. And then next Sunday, uh, Lawler's Army and uh, one of the new kids are going to be up there playing. Uh, we're going to have a big softball game. I'll, I think maybe I bring Garth Brooks and Clint Black along with me too. I don't know. But anyway, we're going to be up in Humboldt, Tennessee uh, next Sunday. Uh, not tomorrow, but the following Sunday. We're going to be up in Humboldt, Tennessee, and I'll tell you more about that too, to, to uh, benefit the DARE program, the big yeah. okay. the yeah. drug rehab program. Next All right. Then. Talk about this match Monday night. Real quick. Okay. I just want to mention the reason that I am excited about this match is because, you know, uh, I guess a few a few years back, what what took place in in the in the wrestling industry, or in the wrestling profession or business as you know all sports really the bottom line is uh, they're basically businesses. They're everybody's in in the sport to make money, uh, and you, I guess before the advent of cable TV, what happened? The fans in this area, you know, they only saw the wrestling that was in their each each individual's area. Because, uh, you know, if, so, if somebody was in wrestling up in New York or out in California, you, you didn't see those TV shows, so you didn't know about the other wrestlers. But then along came cable TV, and uh, several wrestling organizations got on cable, and then all of a sudden their shows are seen all over the world, all over the country. You know, like the WWF, of course, they're on all over the country, and then the NWA comes along, and then they're on all over the country on cable. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, USWA has been on, on ESPN, and we were seen all over the country, too. But what it did, it gave the fans an opportunity to see other wrestling organizations. Now, there were some good things and some bad things about this. Uh, the good things was that the fans got to see a lot of other wrestlers. But the, one of the bad things came about in this was the fact that all of the wrestling organizations all of a sudden started this fierce competition with each other. Used to, the competition was just against between the wrestlers, and that's the way it always should have been. But then all of a sudden, the wrestling organizations, the companies, started competing with each other. They wanted to all get 
all the best wrestlers and they wanted to all have all the talent and they didn't really want to cooperate with each other. You know, like if you wrestled for the WWF, they didn't want you wrestling for the NWA. Or if you wrestled for the NWA, they didn't want you wrestling for the USWA. And that, I think, was the loss of the... That, that's where the fans came the losers because then... You know, used to be, there. we used to claim to be world heavyweight champions, and just, you know, that was one of the things about this unified title that, that I was always proud of. And I've said this before, and, and a lot of people think, well, you're just harping on that, but if you really look at it, it's the truth. I mean, guys claim to be world champions, but in actuality, if the company that they work for won't let them wrestle anybody that's not in their company, then they're not truly considered a world champion. I mean, you know, uh, uh, if, if Hulk Hogan is calling himself the world champion, but if he can't come down here and wrestle me, or if he can't go and wrestle somebody in the NWA, then why don't, I mean, he's really just the WWF champion. The same goes for Lex Luger in the NWA. If he can't wrestle anybody outside that organization, then he is just the company champion. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking these guys as individuals, but it's just, it's just a company policy that I wish someday would change. And when I won the AWA World Heavyweight Championship, I issued a challenge to all the other so-called champions. And the only one, as I said, the only one that, the only company, the organization that had the guts, because it took a lot of guts to put your championship at stake, was the world-class organization with Kerry Von Erich. And Kerry Von Erich, the world-class world champion, wrestled me, the AWA world champion, in Chicago in December of 1988. And fortunately, I was able to come out on top in that match. And that's where the Unified Heavyweight Championship of the World came about. And this is the only championship still that I'm able to go out of the USWA. You know, I just went last month up in, up in Philadelphia and wrestled for an independent organization up there that wrestles all throughout the Northeast, wrestled the Honky Tonk Man in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, and, and, you know, was able to come out victorious in that match. And it's like, this, as I said, is the only title where it can be defended outside the organization. And I'm real proud of that fact. And the reason that I'm excited about this match that's coming up Monday night is the fact that, you know, here's Coco Ware, who has just been in the WWF. And a lot of people come to me, I mean, especially the young kids, because they don't really, they don't always understand the implications and things like that. They come to me and they say, hey, why don't you go to the WWF? Or why don't you go to the NWA? And a, and a lot of times they say, you know, why don't you go to the big time? And because I guess that these guys are on cable or, you know, every time you see it, it looks like a sold out crowd or something like that. A lot of people think that that is the big time. But I just want to tell you this. I've been to New York City. I was on, you know, I, I, I've been to New York to wrestle. I, I wrestled the Road Warriors right in, uh, in the Meadowlands Arena there in front of a sold-out crowd. And I've been on the David Letterman Show. And I just want to tell you my experience in New York. When I left my hotel to go to the subway to get on the David Letterman Show, and this is the honest-to-God's truth, I stepped over out of a nice, ritzy hotel. I had to step over people that were sleeping on the street. One guy had a baseball bat that he was using for a pillow that was sleeping right on the street. Now, if you people that think New York is the big time, a lot of you have obviously never been there because I can tell you that I wouldn't live in New York City if they gave me a penthouse in Trump Plaza. I love Memphis, Tennessee, and this is my home, and we have got the greatest wrestling fans in the world right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Bar none. I wrestled in Philadelphia just a few weeks ago, and there was one of the best matches that I've ever seen going on, and some of the fans were sitting there yelling, boring, boring. To me, these people are not wrestling fans like we have down here. These are real wrestling fans. These are people that know what wrestling's all about, and that's why, 
I stay in the USWA because this is an organization that still their primary number one concern is they sell wrestling. They sell wrestling tickets. That's the only way they make their money. They're not, you know, they're not like the WWF. They sell dolls and toys and games and cereal and everything you can think of. And that's the way they make their money. So they're not going to push wrestling. This organization is concerned with one thing, and that's selling wrestling tickets to wrestling fans. And that's why they give them wrestling. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm excited about Monday night, because it's a chance to go up against Coco Ware, who is just coming from the WWF. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Coco, because Coco is a fine wrestler. Coco is a great athlete. But I want to I want to have a chance to show people that Memphis, Tennessee, and the USWA is big time, and it's as big time as I want to get. And I'm going to show everybody here, and I'm going to show Coco Ware that we got some winners down here. Very good. The king. Well, it's nice to do an interview where you don't have anything to disagree with. And I agree with everything that the King has just said. There he goes as he greets the fans. This became a bit of a big deal more recently during Lawler's feud with The Miz. But wrestling fans never thought of Lawler as a WWF slash WWE wrestler because for the majority of his career in World Wrestling Entertainment, the World Wrestling Federation, he's been a broadcaster. He didn't spend any time in WCW. He spent the longevity of his career in Memphis and in the AWA. You know, he has always been an announcer in the WWE who wrestled occasionally. He had multiple reigns in his own territory in Memphis, and it seemed to be enough for him. By the time he got to the WWF in the late 90s, his active wrestling days were behind him, you know, for the, for the major audience. And despite wrestling a few main events against Bret Hart and Roddy Piper, which were tremendous, I might add, he never seemed to belong in the title conversation. He was the AWA champion, champion in Memphis, but never quite made it to become the WWF WWE champion. We saw his feud right before WrestleMania with The Miz, which many thought he was able, he was going to be able to finally achieve his goal of becoming champion to get one run maybe for a month before Miz could regain the title before Wrestlemania but it was in our hopes and dreams but Jerry Lawler is a champion in our eyes and even though a champion outside of the big two WCW and WWE Jerry Lawler will always be a champion in our hearts and he came oh so close to winning the World Wrestling Entertainment the WWE Championship one month before Wrestlemania this past year Royal Rumble. Tag team title match. I miscalculated. I lost the match. And then, did I make a mistake? And boy, did I make a big mistake. I shoved Lawrence Taylor. But you know, I realized Lawrence Taylor wasn't there to make fun of me. He was there to have a good time. And that's what the WWF and the new generation is all about. Having a good time. WrestleMania 11, you know, some people say, I got beat by a football player. I got beat by one of the greatest football players to ever play the game. And in my opinion, one of the best athletes I've ever met in my life. WrestleMania 11 match. Well, <laughs> it wasn't such a good night for me. You've embarrassed me. You've embarrassed the corporation. I can't believe it. They're all a football player. 
Paul T. He had he had a great night. He oh Monday Night Raw, my match with Big Daddy Cool Diesel, WWF title on the line. I felt great. I really wanted it, but I guess Diesel, he felt a little bit greater. He beat me, fair and square. Hey, I respect Diesel as a champion, I respect Diesel as an athlete, and I really respect Diesel as a man. You know, a lot of people are wondering about Bam Bam Bigelow and his future. Well, let me tell you, my future in the WWF is going to burn bigger and burn brighter than it's ever burned before. This is the new generation. This is the World Wrestling Federation. Hey. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam has an ECW championship reign to his name. And like other superstars, Bigelow was one of WWE's biggest names in the late 1980s, even though he had only had a short run there. When he was there, he was incredibly popular because of his athleticism for a big man and his unique look with that tattooed head. He also had a good series of matches with WWF champion Bret Hart during his run in the mid-90s and headlined WrestleMania against NFL great Lawrence Taylor in a special attraction match, which we will definitely cover in a future Epic Encounter series. But Bam Bam Bigelow can move so well as a big man and the impact he laid on the industry was, you could say, was unique and and impressive at the same time because him and LT having that great feud... Bam Bam making an impression in ECW, winning the championship there, then going to WCW afterwards during its dying days. Um, He was in the main event picture at certain periods of time, and you could say during certain eras in wrestling, quite frankly, even now if he was on SmackDown, he could have made a run for for the World Heavyweight Championship. So you could say, Bam Bam, you were oh so close in winning the WWF title, and during the dying days, possibly the WCW World Championship. All right, fans, coming up a week from tonight here at Boston at the Garden. Saturday night, February 2, World Wrestling Federation action. That is simply unbelievable. In a return bout, Texas Tornado Tag Team match, Big John Stud, Ken Patera to meet, Junkyard Dog and his partner, Andre the Giant. By the way, Bobby the Brain Heenan will be there. The ladies' champion, Wendy Richter, to be challenged by Judy Martin. In addition, Barry Windham from Sweetwater, Texas, just a little west of Abilene. Get ready, Windham, to go against Russian Nikolai Volkov. Mike Rotundo, all that great car to meet the Iron Sheik. And Polish power, Ivan Putsky, will have to deal with the likes of my guest at this time, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orner. If you look a little down in the mouth this week, any reason for that, Paul? Yeah, there's a reason for it. You know that it's gotten to the point when you know every time that I look at the cameras that another woman leaves her husband for Mr. Wonderful. I've heard. Well, you know something? I'm losing sleep about that. And I, I can't help you mean, that. You don't, you don't want to do it. Listen, you, you know, can't help the way you look. Exactly. I know I'm not Mr. Wonderful. You know I'm Mr. Wonderful. Not but who are we to all those millions of people out there know that I'm Mr. Wonderful? What are our opinions? millions out there that say you are Mr. Wonderful. You're right. Exactly right. You know something, Gene, just to to bring up some things that's happened to me lately. 
I was flying from L.A. to New York. I reserved my own first-class section. The whole section? Exactly. I have my own busboys. I have my own waitresses waiting on me. I want to be left alone. And Lord and behold, who comes up and bothers me? Who else? The captain of the airplane. What to know, Mr. Wonderful? Is it okay to take off now? Oh, come on. Hey. The captain's trying to get your permission. That's right. What do you do on that day? Captain, hey, you call the control tower. They tell you when to take off. Get the cards from them. Exactly. Don't Why come bother you? You know, and this stuff happens on and on and on. I can't even go to an airport. I can't even leave my motel because all the limousines are out there, traffic jams, fighting over to see who's going to take Mr. Wonderful to wherever he's going. You've got no private life at all. No. It's got to be a nightmare for it's you. It's terrible. It's terrible. Sure. And, 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 even in, and even in the Boston Gardens, look at all the legends that's passed through there. Bobby Orr, Larry Bird. Those are really legends. Oh, I But the it. legends above legends is Mr. Wonderful right here. Right here he stands. You're putting yourself in the same right category right with... I'm putting myself with the, with the, above them. With the, with the koozies? That's it. With the Collins? And you know why? Do you know why? I'm going to show you the body that women love and the men love to fear. It's just that simple. Take a look at that. How's that look, huh? You don't think there's You're a man me? out there? Look at it. I know. Hey, it doesn't take much for you to please you. But you know something, Ivan Putsky? Turtle head? You know what a turtle does? You know, when you see the turtle with that big old long head and, and then he does something and it goes in? Well, that's exactly what Putsky's going to do. Exactly. It's going to go inside that shell, and you'll disappear. You'll never see it again. I'll wait for tonight. We'll see you there. <laughs> we'll look ahead to a superstar that drew a tremendous amount of money with Hulk Hogan during the house show scene in the 80s, and that man is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Orndorff was a sizzling heel during the, during the time period of the 80s. If Hogan never came... I tend to wonder what the business would have been like if Orndorff took the, the belt from Bob Backlund for a short run. That would be a good addition to our What If series that I'm going to debut. What if Hogan never came? Would Orndorff be more successful in the business? Yeah, I think he could have been or he, he could have been the likes of a Jesse Mentor or superstar Billy Graham. He could have had that type of run. You know, but when we're talking about his heel run in 1987 against Hogan... We have to talk about how special Orndorff was to that feud. People have spoken with Orndorff about, the, about that era, and he stated his inability to play the political game as the reason he didn't get the belt. In terms of money, he was arguably Hogan's greatest opponent. They drew so much money at the time. Imagine the money they would have had drawn if Hogan was chasing Orndorff for the title. And then Orndorff went to WCW during the mid-90s, and he, he floundered there. They didn't quite understand the type of player they were getting in, in Mr. Wonderful as he was teamed up with Paul Roma for you know, Pretty Wonderful. And I, I think they really missed the boat in WCW with the, the main event status that Orndorff was, and he was also close to becoming champion. I am good. I am just so damn good. <laughs> wow, I'm great. Wow. Hello, ladies. My name is 
thou Venus. <laughs> I've just been previewing my latest flick entitled Live Hard. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis is good, but thou Venus is great. <laughs> you see, I'm the real deal, all natural, and ladies, <laughs> believe me, the gift that I have, no other male on the face of this planet has ever, ever been blessed with, <laughs> and when I penetrate the World Wrestling Federation, all the ladies all across the country will be squealing in delight. <laughs> and oh yeah, you're going to get all of Val Venus. <laughs> wow, I am just so good. Oh. I am just great. <laughs> we'll go to a modern day era, and arguably you could say this is one of the greatest technical wrestlers that come through the ranks of the World Wrestling Federation that didn't quite win the big one, possibly because of the gimmick he was giving, only could have allowed this individual to reach such heights, and from that point on, could have been limited. And that individual is Val Venus. Val Venus is a former European and two-time intercontinental champion. Some of you may not remember, but he also has won a world tag team title. And he was impressive with that in doing so with retired wrestler Lance Storm. I've seen Val wrestle over the past couple of years numerous times. I've announced Val Venus inside the ring. He has been with the WWE through and through. But he's been one of those guys that never even had a shot at either major championship. Him being on Raw, he would get a shot at the WWE Championship. Maybe if not ever. Most of you are thinking right now that Val Venus can either be either champion for the company. I know you think that. I think he can actually sit back, or we could sit back and watch Val Venus on SmackDown be a contender for the World Heavyweight Championship now with the roster they have. He could have great matches with Christian or Randy Orton. And I know some of you may may say, no way, he doesn't have it. But let's look back at Val Venus, the character. Sure, risque for its time, debuted during the Attitude Era, and there were rumors quite possibly that it was either going to be Edge as the Val Venus character, or Shaw Morley. Edge was giving that, that mysterious character that comes through the night and attacks, comes to the crowd, you know, that night, that night owl, that... Nightcrawler style with the leather jacket and Val Venus was the porn star or ex-porn star lover of the ladies the modern day ravishing Rick Rude much like Rick Rude's career Val Venus was only allowed to a certain extent people thought he would make the easy transition into an agent but Val Venus was released you know, a couple of years ago from World Wrestling Entertainment and he made a short stint in TNA but Val Venus, with that character, I believe that there was only a limited amount of 
reachability, for lack of a better term, Val could have to a mainstream audience. They stripped the Val Venus name away from from the great Big Valbowski, and they went with Big Valbowski to get away from, I guess, to say the Venus slash penis correlation. You know that lasted for for a period of a short period of time. Then he went back to Val Venus, and we all know of his Sean Morley, Chief Morley gimmick as the assistant to Eric Bischoff on Monday Night Raw. But still, even though he was known as Chief Morley, Sean Morley, he was a bad guy. There still was he wasn't able to get over that hump and become a main eventer. He still was known as Val Venus. Quite frankly, he could have had a reign as Val Venus, but that that bridge to mainstream may have been a little bit difficult with especially now with the PG product that they have to have him be the forefront of your company but Val Venus technically can compete with any of them in the world title picture and he became oh so close at becoming world champion quite disturbing isn't it you know people are very passionate about things in their lives some people are very passionate about religion others about politics it grieves me to say that there's an alarming group of people that are passionate about Hulk Hogan. These so-called Hulkamaniacs, they're the lowest form of the low. They're quite pathetic. I mean, why would you worship a man, I mean, who punches around like a 50 pence tart in these feather boas? It's, it's disgusting. It was bad enough 18 years ago when Hulk, Hulk Hogan and his Hulkamaniacs were running wild, but now in the year 2002, it's just quite sad. People buy this crap, you know. I mean, look at this. Look, I mean, they hang this on their walls. I mean, look, 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 look at this. Look, look, oh, look at me, look at me. I'm a Hulk, I'm a Hulkamaniac, and I've got my silly little Hulk Hogan cup and my hat and my silly little doll, and I look a complete bloody pillock. Why? I just don't understand. It, it, it's a travesty. But you people can't respect and follow someone like myself. I wish I could say it was just you pathetic Americans, but it's not. It's a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, you could, I mean, worship someone like me, someone with pride and dignity, someone who speaks the Queen's English, someone who can finish a sentence without saying the word brother at the end of it. That really gets on my bloody nerves, that one. Tonight... After I get Hulk Hogan in the ring for the very first time, things are going to change. Hulkamania will be running wild no more. So I'll direct this at you, Hogan, so you can understand it in your simple way. What are you going to see when the power of the punch runs wild on thee? We look now at a current superstar on the active roster that in my mind very well could be world champion because of his in-ring ability, his work on the microphone, and he had a shot when he won the King of the Ring. That individual is William Regal. How can anyone forget the goodwill ambassador of England, Mr. William Regal? Regal is a previous four-time WCW television champion, defeating the likes of Ricky Steamboat and Lex Luger for the title. Yes, Regal has wins over Lex Luger and Ricky Steamboat. Regal is also a former Intercontinental Champion and a four-time European Champion. 
Knowledge unknown to some is that Regal has actually won the Hardcore Championship on five separate occasions during various house shows in the spring of 2002 when the 24-7 rule was in effect. And to round off his impressive resume and title history, Regal is a four-time World Tag Team Champion with two reigns alongside Lance Storm, one along with Eugene, and another alongside retired Japanese phenomenon Yoshihiro Tajiri. But everyone knows Mr. Regal has the title history to back it up. Regal has been scarce on TV as of late, and he made a brief stint during NXT as as a coach and mentor, but Regal had extensive and still has extensive mic skills. You know, he can cut in-ring promos as a face, a heel. He can get the crowd riled up. He can get the crowd pumped for a match. He is a believable heel. Back when he won the King of the Ring a couple of years ago, when everyone loved his in-ring promo work, specifically when he had the lights turned out, had the sound turned off to show his power, his dominance. And due to a wellness violation, Regal's push was put to a streaking halt. And some said at the time, before the, the wellness violation hit, that Regal had a shot at becoming world heavyweight champion. So Regal, with his in-ring skills, his promo workability, definitely had the tools, and still has the tools, to become either WWE or World Heavyweight Champion. And Regal currently is oh so close at winning the big one. Ladies and gentlemen, Owen Hart! Take a look, Jay. Look at, look at the t-shirt that Owen squared. Owen 316 on the front, and I just broke your neck on the back, and look who he's got with him. He's got the riot squad. He's got the whole SWAT team. He's so smart. Folks, let's take you back to SummerSlam. The Tombstone Pile Driver, applied by Owen Hart. On Stone Cold Steve Austin, left Austin. Look at that. Look at paralyzed. And you see Austin's head exposed there. Owen Hart, very proud that he broke Steve Austin's neck. What is the matter with you? Why would you wear a T-shirt like this, Owen 316, and on the back, I just broke your neck, when you know that lunatic is here tonight? What's the matter with you? Austin talks a good game, but Owen gets the job done. Look at him. I speak the truth. Just read it and weep because it's true, and I'll do it again. Let's talk about the Intercontinental Tournament. This Sunday, you and Farouk in the ring. One of you walks out as the Intercontinental Champion. If, in fact, it's you, it won't be for the first time. No, it won't be. And let's face it. Farouk, you're a great wrestler, but I'm very confident. I'm a better wrestler than you. I could wrestle you with my hands tied behind my back. And the only reason that I don't have the Intercontinental belt is because of myself. I made my own stupid mistake. I had compassion, and I lost my title to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had him beat. He had a broken neck. He was a paraplegic lying there in the ring. But that mistake will never happen again. And a bad blood, Farouk, I will beat you, and I will become the Intercontinental Champion again, as I always should be. Oh, it's pretty brave now that he's got that restraining order on Austin. i got something to talk to you about that's really bugging me. Now, we all know what kind of a lunatic Stone Cold Steve Austin is, how he's wreaked havoc, how he's run rampant here in the World Wrestling Federation. We all know what he's tried to do to me, try to ruin my life. I'm a family man, a compassionate man, and he's ruining me, my life. He's scaring the hell out of me, and I don't need it. 
So Farouk, when I wrestle you, I will beat you as long as I get a fair shake and as long as Stone Cold Steve Austin is nowhere around. I've had security all around and he's broken my security. Come in there, gave me a stunner, and look what he did to you. Vince McMahon yourself, look what he's done to you. He gave you a stunner, he gave it to Sergeant Slaughter. He's wreaking havoc in the World Wrestling Federation. And it's up to you to make a decision to get him the hell out of the World Wrestling Federation where he belongs because he's going to destroy it. An empire that not you, but your father started. How could you let him come in and destroy what not only you, but your father started? Don't let him do it, Vince. I know deep in your heart you will make the right decision. I know deep down in my heart that you will not let Stove Cold Steve Austin remain in the World Wrestling Federation. I know these fans all around, they don't want Stone Cold Steve Austin in the World Wrestling Federation. And it's up to you to make the right decision. Get him the hell out of the World Wrestling Federation. And I'd like to end this by saying, I can't wait till bad blood because I will leave the Intercontinental Champion. And the next night, you will make the right decision and get Stone Cold Steve Austin out of the WWF. Sounds to me like Owen Hart's got a case of the limber tail. Hey, hey, there he is. Back to right. the next Intercontinental Champion, Owen Hart. Another superstar that had excellent in-ring matches and comes from a long, illustrious family of great stars and great professionals in this business. And the man's name is The Rocket, the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. Had Owen not infamously died in the ring so tragically after the, the stunt gone wrong as the Blue Blazer, who knows if he would ever have won the elusive world championship. He was a multi-time IC, European, and tag team champion in the WWF and had a series of great matches with his brother Brett over the championship in the mid-90s. His best chance at a world title was probably after the Montreal Screwjob. However, you know, and rather than getting a shot at Shawn Michaels, who was feuding with, with Steve Austin, who was so right hot at the time, and was put into an angle with Triple H. And he was firmly entrenched in the mid-card scene when he passed away suddenly. So at the point when he when Brett left after the screw job, Brett and WCW, Owen was the only heart remaining. You know, the sole survivor, as they said. You know, the fans were getting behind Owen. They, were, I think, WWF fans were ready to make the bridge from Brett to Owen. Those were who were still not bitter about what happened in Montreal at the Survivor Series. So that was Owen's shot. Or that was WWE's shot, you could say, to give Owen the chance to become champion. But instead of pairing with HBK, he was paired off with Triple H. Possibly Vince didn't think he had the overall package to become WWF champion. You know, Vince was pretty strapped in terms of finances and status as WCW was winning the Monday Night Ratings War. And they had to make a change. And I don't think Vince was fully had the full confidence in Owen Hart you know, the, enough content, confidence, you could say, to give him the championship. So Owen became so close at winning that title. I think if he had the ability to get that run, we could have seen him with a, with a pretty impressive run where in certain cases, you know, the superstar makes the title or the title makes a superstar. I think the championship belt could have made Owen Hart an even bigger star. What about that victory roll? It looked like he was going to counter, and he reached back, grab his feet. There's nowhere for him to go at that point. Uh, no, once uh, I did the victory roll, once he, once he brought his feet back and, and I locked him, there was nowhere for him to go. Two, that's it! He beat him! He beat him! 
Wembley Arena is going nuts. I mean, Wembley Stadium. I don't know where I am. Champion, the British Bulldog. And he did it in his own backyard. An 80,355 sound packing Wembley Stadium. I went to shake his hand and he, he looked at me like he couldn't, he couldn't believe it. And at first, he didn't want to shake my hand. And he went to step out of the ring and uh, the people just went nuts. Like, you know, I was wanting to. So, uh, you know, thanks for giving me the opportunity to step in the ring in Wembley Stadium and give me a chance at the Intercontinental Belt. And uh, he finally came back in the ring and shook my hand, and that's when my wife Diana came in and uh, hugged him and hugged me and stood between us. Diana joins her brother! What a matchup! Up next, Manchester's favorite son, the early days of the British Bulldog. When I got here, you know, it was like, wow, this big, huge man, <laughs> monsters in the dressing room looking at me like, who's this young punk, you know? Plus, we'll hear candid comments on former tag team partners, the Dynamite Kid and Lex Luger. But there wasn't that gel, you know, that in the ring like the, uh, me and the Dynamite Kid had. When did you start preparing, or when did you realize that you wanted to be a professional wrestler? This, that that was what you wanted to do for a living. When did you? When did the light bulb go off and you said, "Hey, this is what I want to do"? Well. It, it's not a matter of, of, of wanting to be a professional wrestler. It was um, my parents stepped in again, and um, they met a, a man in Warrington, which is like three miles away from my hometown, who um, was building a house, a big house in Warrington. And uh, he wanted my dad to go over there and uh, do some work on the house. And uh, he said to my dad, if you give me a deal on the... <laughs> On the, you know, fixing the pipes and all that for the, for the gas. Um, if you, you know, if you've got any kids, I'll, I'll turn them out to be a prof professional wrestler. So I went down there and I did not like it. I said, this is not my cup of tea at all. I said, you know, I, but um, as time went along, I started to like it. And then I was about 12 years old and then boom, I turned pro at 15. Replay and get a chance to see this fine young man, Davy Boy Smith, really put together. How did you work your professional schedule around going to school? Um, but um, at that time, I'd uh, tell a teacher, you know, I was sick or I'd 
this or that. And one day, the promoter decided, well, I've got this kid, he's 15 years old, years of age, and uh, I want to put him on TV with uh, my main event guy as a tag team. And uh, I stepped in the, I went in the ring and wrestled on TV on uh, worldwide sports in England. And uh, with Ken, Ken Walton was the uh, commentator at that time, big commentator. And uh, all the kids saw me on TV, and then that was it. They knew what I was up to. Any uh, local uh, school bullies ever uh, want to try you on for size? When they say, well, you know how to wrestle. If, if, you know, did you ever get challenged by any of your uh, oh, classmates? Yeah. Oh, yeah, many times, yeah. I've been, and I've been going through that my whole career. Navy Boy Smith in the ring now with the big Russian Nikolai Volkov, 305 pounds. My cousin, uh, who is the, known as a, the Dynamite Kid, he w went over to Calgary, Canada, and um, he said uh, to the promoter, I've got a cousin in England who I think you should bring over and give him a break and see if he can uh, join the ranks of uh, Stampede Wrestling. Wow, here I am, I'm 17, I'm going to leave England and go over to another country, Canada, n not knowing wh where I am again, what I'm going to do, and step in the ring, and I was maybe 175 pounds then I gained some weight and uh, I'd wrote a letter to the promoter saying I was 200 pounds I'd lied a little bit so I could you know get it get on the, in the uh, stampede wrestling circuit and uh, when I got here you know it was like wow there's big huge men <laughs> monsters in the dressing room looking at me like who's this young punk you know and uh, that, that was my turning point was when I came over to Canada you mentioned the Dynamite Kid, and, I, and I'm sure that a lot of fans that have followed wrestling, especially the WWF for a long time, certainly remember the Dynamite Kid uh, and yourself as uh, one of the most outstanding tag teams ever in the WWF. I wasn't aware, uh, I'd heard, I, but uh, Tommy Billington, who is the Dynamite Kid, yes. and you guys are, actually are really cousins. It's not, it's not publicity. No, it's not publicity. We were, we're really cousins. David Boy perched up on that second rope. What's he thinking about? Ah. Holy Moses rammed right head first and got it. It's over. Oh, 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 it's my God, it's over. History made here at WrestleMania 2. You have got to be kidding me. This place is coming apart. Pandemonium broken loose here in the Rosemont Horizon as history made in WrestleMania 2 as we have new World Wrestling Federation. Tag team champions, the British Bulldogs. He apparently had a, a profound positive influence then, obviously, in the formation of your career. I mean, here's a guy that obviously in his day, in his time, was one of the most revolutionary. He was, it, seemed like, it seemed to me, in my recollection, looking at old tapes, that the, the Dynamite Kid was always inventing a new move. So it really had to be a great influence for you, young and impressionable, and you're willing to learn to have somebody like that who's actually your cousin to help you along. Well, in, in my eyes, and um, I can never go back, it, 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 Tommy Billington, the, the, the dynamite kid, was the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the world. When he, when, he, when he was in England, when he came to Calgary, Canada, when he went to Japan, on the, no matter where he went, he was the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the world. He was, he was the greatest. He could do anything. And uh, I looked up to him like he was a god, you know.
What was it? Uh, what were those early days coming to Calgary like? Where did you live when you came to Calgary? Who did you live with? You, you're 17 years old. I mean, you're not even old enough to go out and have a drink. No, didn't <laughs> even have any ale. No, no, no ale, no beer. No, but um, I came to Calgary and uh, Brett uh, took me under his wing. Took me like one of his uh, brothers, you know. And uh, I lived with Brett in a small house in in uh, Ramsey in Calgary and. Uh, he took care of me. He, re he really did. And uh, did how, tell us about. Uh, of course, we, we the fans are aware that you married Brett's sister. Yeah. And uh, how did that? Uh, how was how did that come about? Were you uh, were you was it love at first sight or or how did that relationship develop? I I, I didn't know um, at first uh, how many brothers Brett had, how many sisters he had. You know what. I was just sitting in Brett's house and I was playing cards and uh, his sister came over with it. Her, her, her girlfriend of hers and um, she'd make several phone calls and just keep hanging up and hanging up and finally I said, I said, what are you doing, you know? She said, well, I've got this extra movie ticket to see a, you know, to see a movie and I can't get hold of my brother Owen to give him the ticket so he can go and watch the movie. She said, uh, would you like to go? I said, sure, I'll, I'll go to the movie with you, you know? And that's how it all started that, that day. We'll keep it in the family as we look to the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. The Bulldog always had a look of a main eventer in the WWF. And during his short stint in WCW, he was involved in the main event scene. Still, he was never able to break through to the top. You know, from what people have read and known, you know, from, specifically in Bret Hart's autobiography, you know, the Bulldog obviously had problems with drugs, and it seemed to have always been getting in the way of some type of you know, trouble behind the scenes and got in the way of the Bulldog becoming successful in terms of a championship title reign. And those problems got him fired from both organizations. You, know, you can say, you could play the what-if game as well. Had he kept his nose clean, Smith could have been the WF champion from Europe. You know, he could have been the representative internationally. We saw the capabilities Smith had to have a main event match and be a main event caliber athlete when him and Bret Hart had the Intercontinental title match at SummerSlam in 92 in Wembley Stadium when they blew the roof off the place. But you had Bret in that match as well. So you can question you know, possibly the ability for the Bulldog to carry other superstars because it's known, you know, it's kind of a hidden gem or a hidden stat that the world heavyweight champion in any organization should have the ability to have a great match with any superstar he's put in the ring with. I think John Cena is starting to develop that, even though John Cena hasn't had five-star matches throughout every title run he's had. I truly believe that he's garnering that ability to have great matches with any star. Bret Hart you know, prided himself on that. Ric Flair prided himself on that ability to make a star or make a great match out of any contender. So the Bulldog, quite frankly, may not have had that quality in him, but we've seen other champions, you know, like Kevin Nash and others, that didn't have that ability but still became champion. So who knows if the British Bulldog, Bulldog were able, had the ability to stay clean and stay positive in terms of his wrestling career. He could have been world champion. Virgil, have you ever seen a more gorgeous specimen in all your life? No, sir. You know... There are still a lot of people out there who think that their morals and their pride are more important to them than money. 
Can you believe that? No, I can't believe it. Because morals and pride can't buy you gold. It can't buy you diamonds, sir. Virgil, you're learning fast. And all you people out there are going to learn the same lesson that Virgil here has learned. That money can and does buy you anything or anybody. Like I said, everybody's got a price for the million-dollar man. What's <laughs> a little brats? Public pool, huh? We'll see how public it is. Anybody here? Can I help you? Yeah, I like a lot of privacy. When are all these little brats going to be out of the pool? Uh, we'll close the pool at 8 in the evening. Yeah, well, uh, what would it take to make this a private pool right now? I'm afraid I can't do that. Public pool and our taxpayers and... I have a lot of problems with the mothers and the fathers. Listen, mister, I pay more taxes in a month than these people make in a year. Virgil, I think we can find something wrong with the pool today, don't you? I really can't. Public pool, I really have problems with the mothers and the fathers. Virgil, I think there's a little too much chlorine in the water, don't you? I'll be right back. Yeah. Get these rats out of the water. All right, everybody out. The chlorine level's too high. We're going to close the pool. Let's go. Come on. Come on, you brats. Get out of the pool. All of you. Come on out. Out, out. Come on. Let's go. Hey, you two brats. That's it. Out of the pool now. Get out of the pool. Come on. It's time to go. Let's go. Let's clear the pool. Everyone out. Let's go. Out, 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 out. I came here to swim. Not to be out of Yeah. Hey, don't feel sorry for those little brats. And don't be upset with the pool manager. He didn't do anything that any one of you wouldn't have done. He had his price just like each and every one of you has your price. Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. This next superstar truly is a travesty because of the impact he made on the wrestling industry and for the character he was. And that is the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. For a brief period of time, the million dollar man actually was the WWF champion. So I'm stating this guy, so don't get upset. Don't send emails saying I was wrong. You know, I'm making a little asterisk here because, you know, he bought the title from Andre the Giant. While Andre's title reign was recognized despite only lasting a few minutes, and the reason why I, I haven't mentioned Andre on this list, or we'll be mentioning him, you know, because DiBiase bought the championship. It was never officially recognized due to that fact. You know, had this angle occurred this day and age, you know, people could say that you know his title reign may actually have been recognized because we've seen the title flip so many times, especially with CM, the CM Punk angle. You know, I mean, a perfect example of this is Dolph Ziggler was called a former world champion when he had the issue with Edge and they stripped the title from Dolph. Edge was given back the championship, but he still was recognized as a former champion. So, you know, you can classify DiBiase on the records as champion, but technically, if you look on WWE.com, on the records, you know, in the record books, DiBiase was never WWF champion. But the million-dollar man, regardless, 
was easily the top heel in the WF for a few years in the late 80s, and it's a shame he never got a title reign to prove it. You know, a lot of the superstars in the 80s that didn't win the championship, quite frankly, if they were around in this era, they would have held either the WWE or World Heavyweight Championship. You know, when you deal with a split roster like Raw and SmackDown, you're more likely to see different champions come into play because you have champions of two brands. Meanwhile, when the World Wrestling Federation was at its height in the 80s, you had one specific world champion. So quite frankly, a lot of these superstars that missed out could be champion to this day if they were around during this era. Well, I'm Sean Mooney, and there is one man who certainly would like to see the gold around his waist. He's Mr. Perfect. Let's hear what's on the mind of this man who believes he's absolutely flawless. When you talk about leaders, or you talk about champions, you talk about a man that has it all. And never before in the World Wrestling Federation has there been a man like Mr. Perfect. Somebody who has it all, from top to bottom, muscle symmetry, all the things are in the right places. The blonde curly hair, the blue eyes, but behind it all, the perfect mind. Ultimate warrior, you're holding the World Wrestling Federation champion, but when I walk down the streets, people point their finger at me, and they say, there goes Mr. Perfect, the next World Wrestling Federation champion. There goes Mr. Perfect, the man who set the World Wrestling Federation on its ear. You all better take a look at me. I am what I say I am. And I say, I'm absolutely perfect. Injuries always seem to have what held Henning back from achieving a world championship. During his first run under the Mr. Perfect gimmick in the World Wrestling Federation, he started a feud with Hogan right off the bat. You know, he destroyed the championship belt with the help of the genius. But a televised match between the two never materialized, which is beyond me. You know, though they, though they had a few house show matches, we never saw that big TV match, which I still... I'm shocked into this very day. Henning did become one of the best intercontinental champions ever, with two reigns spanning more than a year from the spring of 90 to the summer of 91. You know, when he was forced to retire because of back problems at the time, Henning left the active wrestling scene, or in terms of in-ring activity. At that point, when he initially feuded with Hogan, you can, again, we'll correlate it to today's day and age. You know, that type of storyline... You know, in in on SmackDown or Raw, Kurt Henning would be world champion. Case in point, we look at Sheamus, a star like Sheamus, who became world champion after a fluke win at Extreme Rules with the table match. But you know that type of of feud between Henning and Hogan, Henning would be world champion. You know, when he went to WCW, things never really panned out title team wise with him. Sure, he held the U title, you know, but never the world championship. He returned as a main eventer in the fall of 92, but never got a WWF championship match during his run. You know, and then in WCW, he was, he was a part of the NWO, but he never received a title shot. You know, at the time, I think he was mailing it in and just collecting a paycheck because you, you saw the, the lack of enthusiasm in Kurt Heading. And then he returned to the World Wrestling Federation, you know, after WCW had, had died. And he returned at the Royal Rumble. Everyone was excited. This could be Mr. Perfect's redemption. He can come back and, and become another big name. But then due to personal issues, Henning was let go from the company. And then he passed away, unfortunately, uh, a couple of years later. So we look back at the career of Kurt Henning. And you can say he's the definition of all so close of never winning the big one. Hi there, fellas. Remember me? If you don't, just go into the kitchen, get your old lady out, and she'll tell you who I am. She'll tell you I'm the sexiest man alive, ravishing Rick Rude. 
And how do I know this? Not just because your old lady tells me this, but because I put the ultimate warrior to shame in the super post down. And it won't be long before you see the sexiest man alive with a title belt around his sexy waist. And as for you ladies wondering about the rude awakening, I have raised my standards. I now come to town with a pair of size 5 Calvin Klein and a 36 double D. And if you don't fit the mold, don't dream of the rude awakening. We look at another superstar during the era of Kurt Henning that made an impact. We spoke about a counterpart, a modern day version of this individual, and that was Val Venus. And we'll discuss the ravishing one, ravishing Rick Rude. Arguably one of the best heels of all time, Rude was never able to break through the glass ceiling and become a world champion, despite having the look and promo skills necessary to succeed in professional wrestling. He did have three reigns as WCW's international champion, that's what we spoke about at the top of the program, you know, holding the big gold belt for the better part of the year, but it wasn't technically the world title. You know, but when it came time for that title to be unified with the WCW Championship, Rude wasn't involved in the match. I never thought of the international title on the same level as the World Championship, and I think many fans haven't, you know, because that's when the whole issue was when Flair took the title, the big gold belt, to the World Wrestling Federation, WCW created their own belt. And then once they won the legal battle and they brought back the championship, they had that great belt that had exposure on WWF television, so they brought it onto WCW television, but they already had a WCW title, so they called it the international title. You know, despite the belt's physical uh, lineage or the physical image of that belt, the lineage went with the WCW title, and they created this dummy international title. That's why it isn't classified as a world championship. You know, Rude did main event SummerSlam in 1990, and this was the closest he came in the World Wrestling Federation to win the title as he had a championship match against one of his greatest rivals, the Ultimate Warrior, which we'll discuss in an Epic Encounter series. Uh, you know, and it was arguably the, you could say, the the best match that Warrior had when he was champion. The two fought tremendously, and that was the closest Rude came, and it was believable. He was believable to win the title and beat the Ultimate Warrior, but oh, so close. He never won that big one. Congratulate me, Gene, huh? After taking a look at that, you are a bona fide sicko, Jake Roberts. Hitting a woman? How could you? A woman? No man wants a woman that's going to lay down and grovel and beg for If it's a woman that I want, I want her to stand up. Stand up and be that. Be what I want. As far as slapping her, yeah, I slapped her, but I'll slap myself. I'll slap you, Gene Oakland, but I'll tell you something, Randy. DDT and you was fine. That really felt good. But the best feeling I've ever had in my life is when I grabbed a hold of your woman's hair, man, and jerked her up off of her knees. Huh? That was good. And then when I put my hand across her face, my man, it felt so good I should have to pay for that. Yeah, I would pay to do that. So the next time you think about crossing this snake's path and a snake chooses his own path where nobody else wants to go, about it again. But if you do decide to, please do me one little favor. I'm begging you. Please bring her back. Let me touch her again. I'll get out uh, of here, please, Robert. I can cultivate her into something that even I could oh, want. Please. Huh? I could do that. Trust me. Trust me. Please. <laughs> I refuse to. Gorilla. 
Jake the Snake Roberts. During his WWF career, there were times when Roberts' popularity rivaled that of Hulk Hogan. In fact, when Jake was set to feud with Hogan, he was cheered so much that they turned a babyface and the angle was dropped. Despite being one of the best psychological wrestlers of all time and having one of the most over gimmicks ever in the history of the business, Roberts not only held, well, never held the WWF Championship, he never got a shot at the title and never held any championships in WWF or WCW. He had a few feuds over the Intercontinental Championship, but fell short in both of those in such dramatic fashion. He came close to winning the King of the Ring, but a certain individual by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated him, and Austin 316 was born. You know, you could say due to personal problems that Rick Rude had, uh, that Jake Roberts had, or possibly due to uh, booking issues. Jake was never able to reach that that higher echelon of main eventers, for lack of a better phrase. Jake had the physical ability in the ring. He wasn't built like a jacked-up Hulk Hogan superstar ultimate warrior, but he had the in-ring capability. Physically, he can compete with the best of them, even though his physique wasn't Hulk-like. His psychology made up for it. Jake can grab you in as a babyface or scare you as a heel. Jake had the power, just by his soft-spoken words, to draw you into a match and get you enthralled and empowered in a feud between him and any superstar. That's why Jake would have been such a great champion because the contenders that would have been able to to fight for the title against would have led to some great promo work by Jake the Snake Roberts. So he also is the definition of an individual that was oh so close at becoming world champion. Take a look at me. I am Razor Ramon. I am somebody important, man. Me? I'm like Adam in the Garden of Eden. I'm the only real man. Everybody, they want to be like me. Little kids, they want to grow up and be like me. Bambinos, forget about school. What you learn in a book cannot make you like Razor. You want to be like Razor? You got to do like Razor. You just take whatever you want. You got a problem with me taking whatever I want? And if there's anybody else who don't like me taking whatever I want in the WWF, we're going to have a really big problem, Chico. Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. This might be one of uh, a controversial 
individual. But despite all of Hall's problems with drugs and alcohol, especially more recently, it's remarkable to me and, and other individuals as well, I know other people on this network as well can vouch for that, that he never won the big one, especially during the days or during his specific days with the NWO when he was arguably one of the, the three biggest stars in the business. You know, Not even a token reign to tick off Hogan and Kevin Nash. You know, it's... It was just remarkable to me that Scott Hall, you know, we saw other champions who were not, were not as qualified or didn't have the resume of Hall that were able to get the title, but not not Scott. He was on and off in WCW through certain periods due to issue, personal issues. But even as Razor Ramon, he was one of the top guys in the WWF. You know, he also had the size, he had the look, he had the skills of a main event wrestler. You know, he, you can compare him to Kevin Nash, who was WWF champion. You know, I can only recall one pay-per-view title shot that he had. I believe it was at uh, the Royal Rumble in '92 against Bret Hart, which he came, which just came just a few months after he debuted. Again, another case of a Sheamus situation, like we mentioned earlier. You know, a, a Razor Ramon character debuting in the WWF or WWE now on SmackDown or Raw, he could be world champion. Look at Alberto Del Rio, the way he took the, took the WWE by storm. And Razor Ramon took the WWF by storm back in that era. But again, one world champion. You know, Hogan was still around at that time. Yokozuna was in, was in charge as well. Razor never got the opportunity. Between his look and political influences of the clique, there's no reason Hall shouldn't have been a champion in one of the major companies. You know, And to me and to other people you know, on this network, other fans on the forums, you, you can yell at me if I'm wrong, you know, this will always be one of professional wrestling's greatest mysteries. And this is also one you can say he was definitely so close at winning the big one. So fans, time to pay some bills. And after we return from our commercial break, we'll look back at the Backlund years. The wrestlers that should have been WWF champion during the long tenured run of Mr. Bob Backlund. All that and more when we return on Beyond the Bell. consideration paid for by the following it's a night of victories a night of champions John Cena is WWE champion a night of dreams ladies and gentlemen dreams do come true a night of change it's my destiny to be the new champion it's a night you will never forget WWE Night of Champions, a night where every championship will be defended. Live Sunday, September 18th, only on Pay-Per-View.
Hey guys, it's Mr. Money on the Mic, JJ, all caps sexy of the SNS Radio Network. If you're looking for the latest news in professional wrestling and of course some of the best columns on the World Wide Web today, visit headlocks2headlines.com. That's headlocks, the number two, headlines.com. It's the official news site of the SNS Radio Network. You should make it your official news site as well. Once again, www.headlocks2headlines.com. I'm a wrestler because at the core of me, I am a wrestling fan. Wrestling is all about telling stories of good versus evil. And you get to see them duke it out face-to-face in the ring. There is nothing like that feeling of being able to go through that curtain and hear that crowd either boo or cheer. I don't care if they're booing or cheering as long as they're making noise. There's nothing like it. It's not just the wrestling. It's not just the storytelling. It's both combined. I didn't aspire to just be an entertainer. I aspired to be an entertaining wrestler. Anybody can be an entertainer. But it takes a certain someone, a certain special someone, to be an entertaining wrestler. In Impact Wrestling, the training wheels are off. I'm not told how to be myself. I just am able to be myself. If you don't like it, well then, you can cheer for the guy that's coming out to kick my ass. Hey you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you checked out the new Unplugged on Friday nights? Well, if you haven't, make sure you check out the new Unplugged Friday nights with JJ Sexay at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 Mountain Standard Time, where JJ covers SmackDown, video games, and whatever the hell else he feels like. See you in chat. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, and you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Tonight, we're looking back at the superstars that came oh so close. The stars that never won the big one. What is the big one, you may be asking? Well, it's either the superstars that didn't win either the WWF slash WWE Championship or the NWA WCW World Heavyweight Championship. So we took a look back at various stars throughout wrestling history and how they came oh so close in winning the big one. And now we want to focus on, in this segment, the Backlund years. Wrestlers who should have been WWF champion. The reason why I want to focus now one full segment on the Bob Backlund years is because Backlund had such an extensive reign as WWF champion. You know, the Bob Backlund era of the WWF saw arguably the greatest collection of 80s wrestling talent to ever come through the Northeast. There was only one WWF World Championship, you know, back then, and it wasn't going to be passed around, especially like today's day and age. Unfortunately, that meant some great pro wrestlers were never going to get that opportunity. The WWF World Titles 
were booked and are booked much differently today than any other time in wrestling history. You know, today, it is a given that anyone on top will get a run with the belt. We discussed it earlier. Years ago, that was not the case. Many great pro wrestlers were passed over for the WWF title reigns, basically due to bad timing. The Bob Backlund years of 1978 to 1983 saw a lot of great pro wrestling talent cheated out of title reigns. The WWF relied on a simple formula of the cookie-cutter babyface world champion being challenged by an angry, colorful heel. But what if it were a colorful heel on top being challenged by a series of babyfaces for five years? For those five years, Backlund was champion. Which pro wrestlers would have been able to be the ideal fit to cash in and become that champion? Or was there a better babyface around to carry the WWF in that era? There was no money in the bank. So we're going to look back specifically at the Bob Backlund period of 1978 to 1983 and the great ones who missed their opportunity. Let's take a look at first with the magnificent Morocco. While the entire list we're discussing today of various superstars isn't in any specific order, the magnificent Morocco is, you could say, or can be an unequivocal number one choice in anybody's book. Morocco proved as WWF Intercontinental Champion that he could be a successful champ in a scenario where a babyface challenger's or any babyface challenger, chase the champion. Morocco's promos, along with managers, the Grand Wizard, and Captain Lou Albano, were arguably the best in the business during this time period. A winner of the 1981 Wrestling Observer's Best Heel of the Year Award, and every bit deservingly so, the magnificent Morocco definitely displayed what a heel should be. In addition to this into his tremendous promo work, he was a hell of a wrestler in the ring. Morocco could give a great match with anyone. Whether it was a grueling 60-minute draw or a brutal Texas death match, Morocco always delivered. In all fairness to the WWF, Morocco has stated in interviews that he liked to take an extended period of time off every year on vacation or to go on vacation in Hawaii. Obviously, this would have disqualified him from a lengthy WWF title run, but imagine how hot the WWF could have been if not just just for six months on Morocco on top as WWF champion. I couldn't be more impressed in seeing the magnificent Morocco from Sunset. Oh, Don Morocco. Don, come on in here. I saw you surfing over there in those, those huge breakers in Hawaii. Some of the greatest surfing, I guess, in the entire world. That was fantastic, wasn't it? It was. It's so nice to get a chance to chit-chat with you a little bit. What would you like to know about the Magnificent One? I, I, I'd like to know, is this something, is this a regular part of your training? What, what, what kind of a training, uh, training schedule do you go through? Well, first of all, above all, you have hard, vigorous workouts, you know, in the water, on the sand, up and down the mountains, running and training. But then you've got to watch your diet. At a certain time, every day, every three, four hours, you've got to eat. As a matter of fact, it's time right now. Would you like a donut? I don't. I don't. This is what happens. This is how you maintain chapter and sit down. Have a good one. 
We look ahead to Ken Patera, the original World's Strongest Man. A lot of fans remember Ken Patera from his post-prison WWF run. The only thing is that this Kempatera had in common with the old Kempatera during that run was his name. Nothing else. They were so they were two different athletes basically. They had nothing in common. Kempatera was a super overheel in the WWF during the late seventies and early eighties. He had great main events with WWF and WWF champions Bruno Sammartino and Bob Backlund. Someone that arrogant who actually did beat Backlund for the WWF title would have made for a great heel champion. Patera cut great promos, but he was a much better worker than he gets credit for. His Texas Death Match versus Bob Backlund won the 1980 Wrestling Observer Match of the Year. His Olympic background would have played well for a world champion. Look at Kurt Angle. I don't think Ken Patera would have worked for a long time, you know, or for a long period with a long title reign or had an extended run, although he went from April to December 1980 as WWF Intercontinental Champion, but Patera would have been gold for a two- to five-month reign as WWF Champion. So we have to look back as Patera being oh so close he came close to winning the big one, and the industry may have been a little bit different with Patera on top as WWF champion. This television program. I don't care what you'd prefer, and I don't care what the people prefer. I'll tell you what we did in 1984. Put those away. No, Wait. I won't. I don't take orders from you, pal, or anybody else. And I don't care what happened in 1984. I don't care how everybody says that was disgusting how we cut the giant's oh, hair. come on. Oh. Beautiful, huh? Huh? Beautiful. I'm talking to you. Pay attention to me. He just You're listening to my man. Bicep. That's right. Would you like to do it? Help yourself. Oh, are you kidding me? Well, don't worry about it. Go ahead. Don't you, you wish you had a body like this? Oh. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen in 1985. There's going to be a lot of people cut down to size. We started with the giant, and we're going to finish up with Hulk Hogan. The members of my family, whether it be Paul Orndorff, Ken Patera, or John Studd, family. one of them will be the world's champion before 85 is over. And the other two will be the world's tag team champions. Because when 1985 draws to an end, the whole wrestling world is going to wonder, and they're going to come to me begging for my talent. Speaking the... of begging, I understand Playboy Buddy Rose has been doing a little begging. That's right. Another member of the family. I only begging, asking. Asking, okay. Well, you know, you interrupt more than an AT&T, uh, one of those operators that keep cutting in on you when you're trying to make a call. People tune in here to see Patera, Stud, Orndorff, Rose, myself. You don't mean nothing, pal. I you don't mean nothing. And don't interrupt me. We look at the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. 
Now, remember, this portion is the backling years in the WWF. So Dusty is the only babyface on this entire list from today of wrestlers or superstars who should have been WWF champion. I think definitely he should have been champion. You can make a contention, like we said, for Morocco previously or other stars, but I think, to me, he is the only babyface on this list that should have been WWF champion as a no-brainer. Ironically, Dusty writes in his autobiography that Vince McMahon Sr. asked him to take the spot later occupied by Hulk Hogan when the WWF went national, yet it never happened. As great as the WWF wrestling was during this era, there weren't any baby faces other than Backlund and Rhodes that could have been a successful WWF champion. Dusty was a rock star in New York and was always super over in Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden, and Philadelphia, all three areas. The big three, you could say. It is a bit ironic as well that Dusty got the nod for the NWA championship since they seemed to pride themselves on having great wrestling champions, yet he never had the chance in New York. Rhodes, as WWF champion, could have turned the WWF into the WWE years before Hulk Hogan arrived. I think he would have been exciting. I think he would have drawn well and put butts in seats. I think he would have created a whole new era in the World Wrestling Federation. The American Dream could have been the Hulk Hogan for the World Wrestling Federation, if you will. Tremendous amount of pain. And you know, Jim Ross, the first thing I thought of when I saw this was that maybe this great career has come to an end. So there it was, and it happened just last week right here on the Superstation. And fans, as you know, Dusty was taken to the hospital. David Crockett went with him, and we were all concerned about his career. Well, Dusty Rhodes is not a man to stand idly by, and like Jim Ross said, the top of the program, you're going to hear some comments from Dusty Rhodes, and certainly exemplifies the meaning of Starcade true grit. Right now, let's hear from Dusty Rhodes. This is Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. I've been doing a lot of thinking here the past few days. There's something more involved here than winning and losing. Maybe even more than a career. Maybe even more than a legendary athlete, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. I've been battered, I've been beat, I've been scraped, and I've been cut, brother. I've been cut like a knife in my heart. By many, many things, but always I got on my two haunches and rised up because I am the American dream and conquered all and came back from all of this is just a little bit too heavy, Road Warriors. You should have made it a point to get both of them, Daddy. Don't just get one. Don't take one limb. Don't take one heart. Don't take one ear and don't take one eye. Because I'm breathing. That's the scary part for you. I'm breathing. That's the main thing for you. I'm breathing. You got to live with me breathing, baby. When I get up in the morning now and look out of one eye at my children, I think of you. Now the world's title at Starcade, we gonna take that. But I'm going to take just a little bit 
and a whole lot from you road warriors. And between now and then, if Sting has to carry me on his back down that aisle, if he has to drag me in a wagon, I'm breathing, you understand what I'm saying? You should have got it done. It's violence for the sake of violence. And now, I will turn it around to my violence, my lightning bolt, my fire, my thunder. And I... The Superfly, Jimmy, Superfly Snooker. You can debate this one till the end of time. Would Snooker have made a great WWF champion and lead the pack of superstars? His in-ring skills as a babyface were real limited as opposed to Backlund or Dusty. As a heel, I think Snooker could have been an interesting interesting character and he could have had a really exciting short run with the WWF title you know people started watching wrestling a lot of people during the Snuka Backlund feud years later you know people watched a ton of their promos and saw house show matches you know which a lot you could see on YouTube currently but these guys had a tremendous amount of chemistry and you could say that they would have sold out arenas along the Northeast in title rematches with Backlund challenging. So you could flip it, the babyface Snooker could have made a better heel champion. If not for the legendary Tiger Mask versus Dynamite Kid match, these two probably would have stolen the 1982 Wrestling Observer Match of the Year award. It did win the PWA Match of the Year, though, in that specific year. But I think the idea of a savage like Snooker actually beating Backlund and parading around cities with the world title would have been box office gold for a very short term or time period of, you could say, one to three months, or you could stretch it to six. So I think Snooka, with a certain heel turn, which you would have seen in this day and age with how things quickly turn over in the industry, Snooka as a heel could have been close to becoming WWF champion. Let me tell you something, boy. Take a good look at this face. And take a good look at this fart. Yes, you are looking at the superfly. But steel like this, like you holding me, has to take something like this to put it over this man's head. A steel. Let me tell you something, Don Morocco. Let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody on earth that comes around and treat me like this because I am the Superfly! Can't take this anymore. I just can't take this thing anymore. You're gonna get paid for this, boy! Everything's gonna get paid for this, boy! Come on, come on! The adorable Adrian Adonis. Unfortunately, most wrestling fans remember a blonde-haired, overweight, cross-dressing Adrian Adonis from WrestleMania 3. However, there was a lighter Adrian Adonis who wore a leather jacket to the ring 
that tore the house down with Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales in 1982. Adonis was arguably the best worker in the WWF in 82 and had legendary matches with Bob Backlund for the WWF title in Philadelphia, New York, Maryland. Adonis had great matches with just about everyone that that could have carried some of the weaker baby faces. He could have carried those weaker baby faces to credible main events. Just like I said earlier, a classification or a key point to a successful champion or world champion is that you can carry other wrestlers to a great match. Adonis, hailing from New York, had tremendous potential as a world champion. The New York fans hated him and would have rioted seeing one of their own gone bad defeat Bob Backlund in Madison Square Garden. At the same time, a later babyface turn could have made Adonis into a huge star in the WWF. Adonis was in and out of the WWF and was something of a journeyman wrestler like Ken Patera, so the chances of him sticking around long enough for consideration were probably slim, therefore he didn't get that title reign that, he could, that would have fit well for him. But I think Adrian Adonis in 1982 could have been one of the greatest world champions, AWA, NWA, WWF, all aside of that era. Leaping Lanny Poffo against Handsome Harley Race. The Killer Bees jumping Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Blair against Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. The Macho Man Randy Savage defends the Intercontinental title against JYD, the Junkyard Dog. Talk about a six-man tag. King Tonga, C.V. Avi, and George the Animal Steel against the Giant John Stud, King Kong Bundy, and donning the tights, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And it will be the former champion indeed, Pedro Morales, going up against adorable Adrian Adonis and, of course, the manager, Jimmy Hart. Of course, Adrian Adonis, of course, his manager, Jimmy Hart. Well, you do a hell of a job out here. I'm going to say something right now. Buffalo, Buffalo, nobody lives there that lives. It's all on their tombstones. They don't live there. They just kind of breathe and walk around like a bunch of zombies, like they're in a coma. There is nothing there. But I'm coming there Sunday, August 3rd. Now, there's only two places to go if you're an executive or if you're a bad bar or a good bar. But I'm going to tell you people right now, I don't want to come to this Palooka town and be on a third match. It does, I'm just wasting my time. But when it comes to Pedro Morales, Mr. Cockarocha, <laughs> then I don't mind going anywhere. I will come to Buffalo, and I will show you how to fight. I, who, I will tell you who is tough, and I will show you who is rough. I will do what the Marquis says wrestling, and I do it the best. I have charisma, and I am agile, like a linebacker. I can do the tire drill. I can run sewer caps, 63 of them in 47 seconds. It's in the McGinnis, and everybody knows about it. Well, when I come there, all you people at the executive are going to know that Mr. Morales is going to go down for the count. And he's going to come out maybe on a wheelchair next week and say, wrestling's been very good to me. Well, fans, we'll take our final commercial break of this Beyond the Bell episode. And when we come back, we'll take a look, in my opinion, at the greatest superstar that made the greatest impact in the wrestling industry to never hold one of the big ones, specifically the WWF Champion. When we return, we'll look back at the greatest star never to win the big one in the World Wrestling Federation. Stay with us as we'll continue with more Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Stay with us, everybody.
Promotional consideration paid for by the following. They are the moments that made you say, oh my god. Now take an exhilarating ride back through time with OMG, the top 50 incidents in WWE history. A special countdown of the 50 most outrageous. Moments in WWE. Tyson and Austin. I now own WCW. But which of these incidents is number one? Find out in OMG, the top 50 incidents in WWE history. Get it tomorrow. Impact Wrestling's here to change people's opinions about professional wrestling. Impact Wrestling does things that haven't been done before. You get like a real inside peek behind the curtain so to speak sometimes after a match i'll be walking down the hallway bam a camera just comes on my face and the producers are saying what do you think about your match or how do you feel about what hulk hogan said about you totally on the fly so what you get is is an honest reaction that's based on my feelings at that moment it's very uh, groundbreaking it's a great way to add to the mix of uh, what's in the ring if it wasn't for pro wrestling where am i going to show off like that Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Wrestling Radio Tips on how to host your very own wrestling radio show. Wrestling Radio Tip 101, take listener phone calls. Here's how it works. You set up a phone line, and when a listener calls in, you answer just like this. All right, let's let's go back to the phone lines. Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? Okay. <laughs> I I don't really follow Hulk Hogan because I, I just kind of find him up to be a, a washed up douchebag. Skeet, 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 skeet. It's it's been booming in the warehouse with with Sincata just starting in WWE. The t-shirts and the mask has been up in the sky, of, you know. So your tennis shoes are in the side. I told Julio to hold up for him. All we have to wait for the shoelaces to come in. In the bottom sole. What? 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 Okay. Well, what you gonna do, brother? Well, I just take off my shirt. Yeah. Say my prayers. Eat my vitamins. Yeah. Say no to the holy God. And I'm gonna go after you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. What you gonna do when the two-inch pythons run wild on you? <laughs> Bye, little. Every day I train. Injuries can happen at any time. It popped right off the bone. I knew it was torn as soon as it happened. I've torn the pectoral muscle completely off my shoulder. I've had surgery five times in my left knee. I can't compare this pain to any other pain. I heard something snap. I knew something was wrong. Please, don't try this. I have voices in my head, they 
Since 1996, Audio Wrestling has been getting in the ring as your definitive source for all your wrestling desires. Interviews with some of pro wrestling's biggest stars. Providing you with a wide selection of award-winning wrestling shows from past and present. Such as Ministry of Slam, Monday Night Mayhem, In Your Head, WrestleCast, Sunday Night Showdown, Wrestling News Live, Between the Ropes, RVD Radio, WrestleCast, and Wrestle Talk Radio, and many others. If you can't get enough Mad Mania, climb into the ring with Audio Wrestling, www.audiowrestling.com, and check out all the real voices of wrestling radio. Audio Wrestling, keeping you tuned in since 1996. Let me tell you something. Nobody knows more about being cool than the hitman. And let me tell you something. It is not cool to smoke. Be a survivor and don't smoke. American Dream. Welcome back, fans, to the show that takes you back in time as we rewind and relive the greatest and worst in the world of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, back with you, and it's now time to look back at, quite possibly, the greatest superstar to never win the big one in the World Wrestling Federation. Quite possibly the greatest WWE superstar to never hold a WWE slash WWF world title is the hot rod Rowdy Roddy Piper. There are two ways to get noticed in the world of professional wrestling. The first is by using one's natural ability to wrestle and having entertaining and engaging matches that help tell a story to the fans. The other and more difficult way is by grabbing a hold of the audience's attention. You never let them not pay attention to what you do and say, just by being your character. The latter of these two is by far the more difficult. You see, to be able to do this, you have to have something called charisma. Charisma is not simply learned in the independent wrestling scene or promotions after years of paying dues or perfecting your craft. This takes a natural ability. And either you have it or you don't. Sure, plenty of wrestlers have gone by without this natural ability. But some of the greatest performers in WWE history are remembered not because they were the most technically brilliant mat wrestlers, but because of their ability to captivate the audience. Roddy Piper is the essence of charisma and passion in the wrestling business. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the one of the most entertaining, talented, hardworking, and unique individuals to ever step foot into a wrestling ring. 
the hot rod himself. All right, fans, capacity crowd last Saturday night here in Boston, and we're back on the 8th of February, Boston Garden, World Wrestling Federation action. Now, out of that tag team, last Saturday night comes this match, Rowdy Roddy Piper meeting Bruno San Martino one-on-one. However... Oh, however, yeah. in the uh, confines like of a steel cage, Roddy Piper, uh, please. Uh, you like the capacity crowd? You like to come and sit down and watch and see me and drop off. You in Boston would never have this kind of guts, huh? You're talking about Bruno. That's a good name for a dog. That belongs in a cage. Roddy, not a good name for a dog. Doesn't belong in a cage. Capacity crowd in Boston, you want me to take 15 feet of cage and you want me to fight somebody who has absolutely nothing to lose if he gets his head right into the cage. If I took his head all day and smeared it in the cage and it was all ruffled, he would look exactly the same. He's not a handsome, fluffy fellow like me. There's no reason for me to be in any kind of cage, man. You know what this guy's doing? You know what he's doing? He's trying to get rid of me. I beat this guy three times. I left him laying in the middle of the ring, man. Trying to get rid of you. Trying to get rid of me. He's trying to hang me, man. This is the living legend that's coming to get me 15 feet cage, four foot apron. You know how far that is down to the ring? That's 23 feet I gotta fall to win this sucker, brother. What do you gotta do if you lose, huh? You know what, Bruno? You know what, living legend? You come in this cage match in Boston against me, you're gonna dub you a new name. The unliving legend. Well, time is going to tell that story, ladies and gentlemen. I guarantee you. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Piper, along with fellow WWE Hall of Famer inductees Mr. Perfect and Ricky Steamboat, has been the poster child for WWE's greatest talents to never win the big one. There's a very good reason for this. Piper has, for over the years, become one of the most beloved legends in WWE history. He is one of the most fondly remembered personalities from the golden era of the WWE by fans all over the world. A trailblazer, Piper was the first wrestler to be so good on the microphone that he got his very own talk show. The now infamous Piper's Pit is where Rowdy's ability to captivate the crowd with his words and his sheer comedic timing was best displayed. Over the years, dozens of wrestlers have tried to duplicate a success with their own talk show, but none have ever come close to the legendary Piper's Pit. The Hot Rod came along at a time in wrestling where the focus was on personalities, and not on one's ability to have a 30-minute blockbuster of a match. For the first time ever in professional wrestling, it had integrated itself into pop culture of America. People turned in not looking for a five-star wrestling match, but to see all the colorful personalities on Vince McMahon's wrestling show. There weren't many more colorful than the rowdy one. Based upon all of this, you would think that Piper would have an easy pick to be a heel WWE champion for any babyface to chase after, especially in today's day and age. However, a problem arose from time to time in pro wrestling. It is in some ways a good problem, as it is often good for the business, but not so good in the long run for guys like Piper. Something stood in Piper's way of becoming one of the few men to hold the WWE Championship. It was the same thing that stood in the way of many great talents during this time period in the WWE. His name was the Immortal Hulk Hogan. 
Hogan was and still is the biggest name pro wrestling has ever seen. While making Hulk Hogan the WWE Champion was good overall for the company because of his popularity, it meant that other popular talents like Piper had to take a back seat to the megastar. I'm sure no one on the roster minded working on the same card as the Hulkster because of how many fans came to see him, but it made it very difficult for other talents to get noticed. Piper was one of the lucky ones. While he never got to hold the coveted WWE Championship, his name has survived and is still very recognizable amongst all generations of wrestling fans, even to this very day. However, you would think that because of this fantastic ability, or his fantastic ability nevertheless, to entertain and draw heat, he would have been a perfect person for Hulk Hogan to feud with, right? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. In the first ever WrestleMania, Piper was in the main event against Hulk Hogan in a tag team matchup. Piper and several other popular talents were pivotal in the success of the WWE during the mid-90s. But he was never considered as vital to the company's success as Hogan. No one was. This may have been what kept Roddy Piper from becoming the champion of the company that he helped revolutionize. He was viewed as a fantastic talent and one of the greatest heels of the era. But unlike Hogan, Piper was thought to be replaceable. To McMahon, or possibly others working backstage alongside Vince, he was just another talent for Hogan to run through and during his nearly endless reign as WWE Champion. There was no way McMahon was about to take the title off the money-making machine Hulkamania. Piper was fantastic at drawing heat, getting the crowd into whatever he was doing and having entertaining matches at the same time. But there was nothing Piper could have done to make himself more over than Hogan at that time. Nothing. Hogan was, was current, and Piper was ahead of his time. Sometimes fans look at something and don't immediately appreciate it or, or learn to appreciate it as much as they should. The work Roddy Piper did in the WWE has become some of the most important examples of what a superstar should be. The Scott set the blueprint for the future of the WWE. The hot Scott, if you want to prove that if you want to succeed, you need more than a good set of in-ring moves. You need to have the ability or need to be able to connect with the crowd and get a reaction out of them and make them remember you by any means necessary. No one has ever done those three done those things better than the hot rod Rowdy Roddy Piper. All of these are necessary to become a great world champion in the WWE now, especially now. The thing is Hulk Hogan did this too. Hogan connected with the audience better than any other superstar at the time. The difference is, and this is really a, a true crime if you can ask anybody in the, in the industry or that covers this business, that Piper was the total package and way better than Hogan in many ways. Sure, Hogan kept the fans coming back, but Piper did everything Hogan did and did almost all of it better. Piper was far more entertaining to watch as an overall package. He was a thousand times better from an in-ring perspective and was far more charismatic and engaging. His character was dynamic, while Hogan's act became, became to wear thin. It fit the masses. It fit the, the television aura that surrounded Hogan, but Piper was different. 
I'm sure plenty of people within WWE wanted to see Roddy Piper as WWE Champion, but when you see something that works, in this instance it was the Hulkamania, you would have to be hard-pressed to take the title off of him, which I understand completely. I was a Hulkamaniac. I loved Hogan. I liked Piper, but I hated him at the same time too because he was Hogan's rival. I didn't realize why I hated Piper because he did his job so well. Why take a chance on Piper when they were sure Hogan was selling tickets? From a business standpoint, that worked for a while, but I'm sure McMahon now sees the missed opportunity, the, the, the missed opportunities, multiple, that he had with Piper. You see, I look at it like this. There has never been another talent like Roddy Piper. His ability to entertain, engage, and enthrall fans with what he did and said made him a natural choice to become world champion, especially in this day and this day and age, in this era. While Piper was popular doing during this specific era and still remembered as one of the greatest talents of all time, he was the unfortunate victim of circumstance, like we said from many other talents. Many talents were pushed aside to allow room for Hogan to shine, but I guarantee that if Piper had shown up on the scene today, either on Raw or SmackDown, he would have been an instant success and would have won the WWE Championship multiple times over or the World Heavyweight Championship on SmackDown. Every superstar that has stepped into a WWE ring has a deep passion for what they do. However, there are only several individuals who know how to convey these deep emotions back into the audience. The men and women who do this go on to become some of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time. There are a few other men in the world who had more of a passion for what they did than Roddy Piper. Very few had more passion than the Hot Rod. His passion for the industry was written all over his face every time he walked to the ring. His love for what he did was part of the aura or part of the the likeness of the hot rod. It was seen in such a sly smirk he wore as he entered the ring with his bagpipe-filled entrance music that played behind him. The only thing that could have made it better was if his name was linked to the WWE Championship. Many pro wrestlers have held the title, and Piper's name certainly deserves to be among them. But some things are lost to time. The hot Scott will never become a WWE Champion, and I think... He has come to terms with that. The only solace we have and the saving grace we have is knowing that Piper will never be forgotten. His ability to do what he loved will forever captivate whoever finds his work. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is what makes Piper stand ahead and shoulders above all the rest, especially all the ones we mentioned tonight. He is remembered amongst the best without ever holding that championship. His name and his talent have preserved throughout time while so many others have faded away. Old school is and always will be cool. Thank you, Hot Rod, for all your work. That wraps up the special oh-so-close edition of Beyond the Bell as we look back at the greatest superstars that became so close to winning the big one. Roddy Piper won the WCW Championship, but never won the World Wrestling Federation title. Other superstars may have won championships in other federations, but came so so close to winning the big one in this industry. But that doesn't mean their, their aura, their stamp on this industry will be forgotten. They laid a mark, they laid an imprint 
throughout the history of professional wrestling and sports entertainment, and that is why we'll never forget them. Some superstars don't necessarily need a championship. Like they say, sometimes the championship makes the superstar, or some, sometimes the superstar makes the championship. In the cases of all the individuals and superstars we mentioned here tonight, they'll be remembered without championships being linked to their names because they didn't need them necessarily. We'll remember them based upon their skill and their contribution to the beloved sport known as professional wrestling. A programming note, ladies and gentlemen, next week we go into our fall brawl month in the month of September as we have great action-packed shows lined up for you. We'll start off with looking back at WCW Saturday Night, looking at the history of WCW Saturday Night and how it grew from the NWA era to the dying days of WCW and the superstars and jobbers that we saw each and every Saturday at 6.05 on TBS. So next week is the best or the history of WCW Saturday Night, so stay tuned for that. And then we roll into our Epic Encounters Volume 6 edition, is Heartbreak and Hatred. I can't wait to discuss this one. A DVD is being made currently by World Wrestling Entertainment. They'll be out uh, shortly, I believe. So I wanted to cover it because I, I started to develop this uh, show months and months ago before I heard of the DVD in production. So I wanted to launch it before the DVD releases. Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels story. That Epic Encounters Volume 6. Typically we have two matches or two rivalries featured in every Epic Encounter series, but the rivalry, the, the feud and rivalry between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels definitely could stand alone in one episode. Then from there, we look ahead to the great giants, giant greats, should I say, in professional wrestling, the best big men in sports entertainment. And then we look ahead to the first edition of our WCW 101 series, part one, as we look back at the beginning of the Alliance. So we have a great lineup in the month of September, the Fall Brawl Month. We look ahead to WCW Saturday Night, the history of WCW Saturday Night, then the heartbreak and hatred, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart story, the greatest big men in professional wrestling, and then we wrap up with WCW 101 Part 1, the beginning of the Alliance. So we have a great lineup scheduled in the month of September for you fans. You can reach us on Facebook, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, to leave any comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, SNS Radio Network is on Facebook. You can also check us out archived at beyondthebell.podbean.com. Questions, comments, and hate mail it could be sent to btbwrestling at gmail.com. Also, check out our forum section under snsradionetwork.com, as well as our shows are streamed and archived under www.snsradionetwork.com. Great programming coming up for the rest of the week. Unplugged with JJ Allcap Sexay, the Elite Force podcast, What Would Fans Do? And then we return with Wrestling News Live and the Cause Cast the following week on the SNS Radio Network. So, once again, this is ring announcer Sean Beckerman wrapping things up. Thank you so much for joining us for the oh-so-close edition, the superstars that became so close to winning the big one. And we'll see you next week as we look back at the history of... Saturday Night Wrestling, 605 on TBS, the best of WCW Saturday Night. So once again, we'll see you next week as we'll get ready to rewind and relive the greatest and worst in the world of professional wrestling. We go old school as we'll go beyond the bell. Good night, everybody.
Jin here. Let's go to our ring announcer. The following podcast is scheduled to take you back in time. Host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman brings you pro wrestling nostalgia featuring classic moments and old school themes. So buckle up and go beyond the bell each and every week on the SNS Radio Network. It's go time.